The New York Post reported that Colorado search and rescue officials posted on Facebook on October 18th, 2021. If you are overdue according to your itinerary and you start getting repeated calls from an unknown number, please answer the phone. It may be a search and rescue team trying to confirm you are safe. What were the search and rescue officials responding to? There was an incident of a man who had been hiking on a trail in Colorado. He had mistakenly turned off the trail. See, I, for anyone who knows me well, I don't like hiking. This is one of the reasons you make one wrong turn. Next thing you know, 24 hours later, they can't find you. But this man makes a wrong turn off of the trail, gets lost, and 24 hours later, he is found by search and rescue. They ask him, they say, we were calling you over and over and over again. And he said, yeah, but I didn't recognize the number, so I didn't answer. So the search and rescue teams reiterated and said, if you are missing, answer the phone, even if you don't recognize the number, because it is likely that it is someone trying to find you. Now, when I was reading this article, I was thinking not only like, okay, I also don't want to answer for every telemarketer, but I think in the event that you're lost, worst case scenario, you hang up the phone a minute later. But something that I was thinking as well when I was reading this is if the man had a phone that was working and people were trying to call him, why didn't he call anyone else? Like, why didn't he call his family and say, I don't know where I am. Can you send someone to get me? Like the whole story didn't make so much sense to me because they said, why should it just have been that other people were looking for him and couldn't reach him? Why couldn't he have called home? And the same question comes up over the past few partial, but really comes to a peak in this week's partial. And that question is, In this week's partial, we see the interaction, the climax of the interaction between Yosef and his brothers with his revelation to them in Egypt that he is now the leader in Egypt when they come down for food. There is the back and forth where they have to go back and pick up Benjamin and come back all because they need food. They think they are interacting with this high official in Egypt and do not realize that it is Yosef. And at the end of this interaction, Yosef reveals himself to them and Yosef is reunited with his family. Yaakov ends up coming down to Egypt and there is this reunion after many, many years. But the question can be asked, after all these years, And what becomes apparent in this story is just how close the journey is between Egypt and Eretz Israel, that the brothers are able to go back, pick up Benjamin, come back. One of the Mepharshim says it was simply a six-day journey, really nothing too crazy. And Yosef couldn't have one time in all of the years that he was in Egypt, he couldn't have sent word back to his father to tell his father that he was alive and safe and living in Egypt. He couldn't have tried to figure out what happened to him. He couldn't have let anyone know what happened to him. This is not like this was across the world, that there was no communication between the two places. This was clearly somewhere that people traveled extremely regularly. And this brings us to ask, much as with this hiker, how could it be that just as this hiker did not reach out to anyone, 
Why did Yosef not reach out to his father in all of the years that he was in Egypt? So what I want to look at today is three possible approaches. The first possible approach, I think, is the most logical, not necessarily based on the text, but based on what we, we would assume within the situation. And that is that for his own safety, he could not reach out to his family. That he was still, no matter how high of a position he achieved in Egypt, he was a foreigner in a foreign land. And therefore, any communication with the outside world would lead to suspicion from the people around him. This seems strange as we know that Yosef rises up the ranks in Egypt. He, at this point, he is a leader in Egypt. But what we must remember is that the way he arrived in Egypt is he was sold down to slavery. That even though he reached the highest heights of authority, until that point, he was very much in a state of slavery, that he was sold down directly to Potiphar's home. From Potiphar's home, he gets sent to jail, and there he is definitely not in a high authority. He is in jail, and even though everyone loves Yosef, he is still a foreign slave who is now incarcerated. He is taken out to translate Paro's dreams, and it is only then that he has this transformation. But until that point, it makes perfect sense that he would not have been able to reach out, that slaves or those who are in Egypt under captivity couldn't reach out to their foreign relatives. It just wouldn't have been possible. It wouldn't have been safe. It would have brought about a tremendous amount of suspicion. The question is, can we see this anywhere in the text? And one place that I believe that we can see it is in Bereshit Parak Memhei. After the episode in the beginning of our parsha where Yosef reveals himself famously, when he reveals himself to his brothers, these words reverberate through the palace in Egypt, and the entire palace quickly becomes aware that Yosef's brothers are now in the palace. And it says, This was a positive thing in the eyes of Paro and in the eyes of his servants. Why is that? Why should they particularly care that Yosef's family has come to visit? But the Sforno comments there and says, This was positive in the eyes of Paro because he saw a situation now where he believed that Yosef would rule over Egypt as a Ezrach, as a citizen, and not as a Ger Manhig. What is this saying? Paro always, since he had appointed Yosef, had this nagging suspicion that Yosef had dual loyalties. He was loyal to Egypt. He was a royal, royal, he was a ruler in Egypt, but this was not where his primary alliance lay because he was, in the end of the day, a foreigner who had no personal investment in the land of Egypt. 
While this was his professional interest, this is where he had come and where he had risen up the ranks. This was not where he was from. There wasn't that nationalistic drive to rule over Egypt as Paro may may have hoped there would have been. So once his brothers and his family arrived down in Egypt, Paro felt like perhaps this would finally make the switch. That this would turn Yosef from that Ger Manhig, from a foreign ruler, into an Ezrach, into a citizen. And this shows that Paro had this underlying conflict all along. That it would not have been crazy to imagine that there was this suspicion of Yosef that would have prevented him from reaching out to his family. So that is the first approach, that perhaps for his own safety, because of all the eyes that were on him as this foreigner that had quickly risen in power in Egypt, Yosef was not able to reach out to his family. That it was a sad reality that as much as he may have wanted to, he knew he was never able to, whether it was during the time he was in slavery or even once he was in a position of rulership, it just wasn't in his abilities to reach out to his family. So that is the first approach, even though it seems like a little bit of a stretch because he is now the ruler of the country. You're going to say that, okay, while he was asleep, while he was in jail, he couldn't have reached out. But once he was a ruler, he couldn't have sent one messenger to Eretisrael. So I think we need to look for a slightly stronger approach. The next possible approach is presented by Rav Yoel Benun, who is a modern-day scholar in the Gush. And Rav Yoel Benun presents a much more sad reality. And the reality that Rav Yol Ben-Nun tries to bring about from the text is that Yosef didn't reach out because he didn't think that anyone wanted to hear from him. What does that mean? Yosef did not know what had been told to his father. He didn't know that his father had been told that he had died. What he thought was that he was waiting around for his father to reach out to him, to search for him, to figure out where he had gone. This goes together with the previous approach in that when he was at first there as a slave, he wouldn't necessarily have had the abilities to reach out. Therefore, Therefore, he was waiting for his father to reach out to him. And once time had begun to go by, and he had still not heard from his father, Yosef began to concoct an entire narrative in his mind that had led him to this point, which was, if my father had known that my brothers hated me so much, why would my father have sent me out to go check on them? Perhaps my father was the one who had precipitated this entire plan And just as Avraham had had to send away one of his sons, Yishmael, just as Yitzchak had had to send away Esau, so too my father had to send away one of his sons, and that was me. So Yosef, according to Rabbi Ben-Nun, did not reach out because he believed that his father had been part of the plan that had sent him down to Egypt. But how can we see this in the text? Why would this make any sense? It seems to be so crazy that Yosef would imagine this, as we saw previously in the Pesukim, that it was clear that Yaakov loved Yosef more than all of his other sons. It reiterated in the the Pesukim numerous times in the beginning of when we meet Yaakov and his family in Parsha Vayeshev. It also is further emphasized through the giving of the Ketonet Pasim, the colorful coat. 
So how can we possibly see this? And I would say that the explanation through which we can see this in the Pesukim comes from the very end of the story, which is in this week's parasha. In Barashas Parak Mamdalet, Vayomer, this is when Yehuda has now approached Vayigash Yehuda al-Yosef. Yehuda has approached Yosef. The point that we are at when we begin this week's parasha is that Yehuda approaches Yosef because at first, when they had come down, Yosef had held Shimon captive until they were able to bring down Binyamin. Originally, the brothers had come all without Binyamin. When Yosef saw that, he said, all of the brothers need to be here. He sent them back, but he kept Shimon there as a collateral to make sure that they would return. So they go back and they bring down Binyamin. And then the episode occurs in which Yosef hides the goblet in Binyamin's sack and catches Binyamin for stealing from the palace. So now it is at this point that Yosef has threatened that he will be keeping Binyamin with him. And finally, Yehuda has had enough and he approaches Yosef to fight back on behalf of Binyamin. And that is where we are at when we enter into this week's parsha. So Vayomer Avdecha, Vayomer Avdecha Avi Alinu. Yehuda says, our father, your servant, has said to us, Yehuda is saying, our father always tells us, all of you know that my wife bore to me two sons. But one of them was tragically killed. He was torn apart by a wild animal, and I haven't seen him until now. When you asked us to go back and bring down Binyamin, this is what our father said to us, that you know I have two beloved sons for my most beloved wife. One of them was already tragically killed in a disaster. You are going to take my other son, and a disaster can possibly happen to him as well. And what would you like to happen to me? I will just be encompassed by this mourning. How then are we able to go back to our father after he warned us and said, do not take Binyamin, something terrible is going to happen to him, and then I will have lost both of these dear sons? How are we meant to go back to our father now and say that we don't have our brother with us? They are so closely connected, our father and Binyamin. If our father sees this, he is just going to be overcome with grief and he will die. Because I, Yehuda, promised my father that I was going to protect this youngest son of his. And I would, if I, if anything happened to him, it would be on me. So I would like to offer myself that I, Yehuda, will stay here in place of Binyamin, and Binyamin will be able to go back to our father. How could I possibly go before my father without our brother with us? I wouldn't be able to see the despair that it would cause to my father. Yosef 
Yosef was not able to control himself any longer. He called out for everyone to leave from in front of him. So no one else besides for his brothers was standing there when he revealed himself to his brothers. He let out a great wail, a great cry, and all of the palace and all of Mitzrayim heard him. He reveals himself to his brothers and he says, I am Yosef, is my father still alive? His brothers were so shocked that they were not able to answer him. So how does this support the idea that Yosef had all along thought his father was part of the plan? Because it is at this point when it becomes clear to Yosef what had happened since his disappearance, then he realizes that this was not at all his father's intention. Rather, his brothers had immediately after his disappearance told their father that he had been killed in a great tragedy, and that's why he had never reached out. He believed that he had been killed by a wild animal. He was brought the proof in the form of the Ketonet Pasim dipped in blood, and therefore, he had no reason to have thought that Yosef was still alive. Though there are the Mepharshim that explain that Yosef, that Yaakov was never truly able to complete the mourning process because there was this aspect of a deep inherent knowledge that Yosef was still alive. On a, on a shot level, he believed Yosef to be dead from the very first moment and therefore had not led, looked for Yosef. So if we are going to use this approach of approach number two, the approach of Rabbi Benun, it is simple why Yosef did not reach out, not because it was unsafe for him to do so, but rather he thought that he was waiting for his father to reach out to him. And once his father did it, he believed that he had been cast off from the family, that he had been sent away. What, would, what else could have possibly led him to believe that? The only other proof in the Psukim that I can possibly see that would lead him to believe that his father had any involvement in this is the way that Yaakov reacts to his dreams when Yosef tells over his dreams, that the dream that includes the sun and the moon bowing down to Yosef, Yaakov reacts and says, why are you telling us about this dream? Do you truly think myself and your mother are going to come bow down before you? So perhaps Yosef had understood this reaction of Yaakov as an expression of, dis, um, of disdain for Yosef. And maybe he had sensed a change in the way his father was relating to him and therefore believed that when his father sent him away next and Yosef saw how that precipitated, what had come afterwards, he had associated negative feelings from his father with the episode that had ensued. So that is approach number two. Approach number one was that Yosef fully wanted to reach out to his family, but he had been unable to due to the fact that he was a foreigner and everyone was suspicious of him, eyes were on him, therefore he could not communicate back with his family. Approach number two of Rabiol Ben-Nun is that Yosef did not reach out because he thought that he had been purposely sent away. He did not know that his father thought he had been killed, and therefore he believed his father had been part of the plan, and Yosef believed that he was only following in the footsteps of Yishmael, 
and Esau of that son that had been sent away from the family, and therefore he never reached out. And it is only once it becomes clear to him way later here in Parshish Vayigash, once it becomes clear to him that his brothers had right away told his father that he had been killed, that it is clear to him, and that is when he is overcome and realizes how the entire plan had played out, and he reveals himself to his brothers. So at the moment at which there is more clarity for him, he does reach out and he does explain to his family who he really is and what has truly happened to him. But I still find this approach more difficult to understand because we do have this precedence that Yosef was so beloved by Yaakov that it is hard to believe that perhaps one statement of anger from his father would have led him to believe that his father had worked together with his brothers to have him sent away and killed. That's still hard for me to digest. So I would like to go on to the third approach that is primarily brought down by the Ramban. The third approach comes about in last week's Parsha, when Yosef first sees his brothers, embraces Parakman Bet, it says, When his brothers first appear before him, Yosef immediately recognizes his brothers, but his brothers do not recognize him. Makes sense. Last they had seen him was years and years before, sitting in an empty pit in the desert. And now they are standing before the viceroy in Egypt. They do not recognize him, but he most definitely recognizes them. So they score, and right away the Pasuk tells us, they score Yosef et ha-chalumot asher chalam lahem. Vayomer alayhem miraglim atem lerodet ervata aratzbatem. It says Yosef saw his brothers, he immediately recognized them, they did not recognize him, but Yosef then immediately remembered the chalumot asher chalam, the dreams that he had dreamed. So the Mepharshim asks the question here, why, in this moment, so many years later, is that what Yosef remembers immediately? He hasn't seen his brothers in years and years. And the first thing that comes to his mind when he sees them is two dreams that he, hear, he, learned, he dreamt so many years before. Why is that so? So the Ramban has a piece here explaining what was going on in Yosef's head at this point. I apologize. You see there's on the source sheet, there's the Ramban. There is one long paragraph, and then there is a smaller paragraph below. The smaller paragraph below is duplicate of part of what's above. So you have, you have all the material, just the bottom paragraph is unnecessary. They score Yosef at Chalumot Asher Chalam Lahem. Alehem v'yada shenitkaimu shaharehishtachavulo lashon Rashi. So the Ramban first quotes Rashi and says, why does it say they score Yosef Immediately when he sees his brothers, he sees them bowing before him, and he recognizes that they will come true. Rather, the Ramban says, it wasn't that Yosef saw what was happening right now and said, oh, my dreams are coming true. Rather, it was that Yosef looked at the situation right now, and he remembered the dreams, and he knew their meaning, and therefore he looked at the situation and he said, 
They have not yet come true. What was Pitronam? It is clear if you look in the um, if you look back in the Psukim and Bracious Paraklamadzayan, it's the next source on the source sheet. Just to remind ourselves what exactly the dreams were and how Yosef had clearly interpreted them all along. Yosef had a dream and his brothers hated him. Listen to this dream that I dreamt. We were all out collecting sheaves of wheat. All of the sheaves of wheat stood up. All of your sheaves of wheat surrounded my sheaf of wheat and bowed down to my sheaf of wheat. It is clear that right away, everyone interprets this as a dream of leadership. The brothers say, do you think you're going to be king over us? Do you think you are going to rule over us? This was the root of the problem. They looked at Yosef and they hated him more and more with every word he said about these dreams. We are up in outer space. All of the stars and the moon and the sun have surrounded me. 11 stars, one, one sun, one moon have all surrounded me and bowed down to me. He tells this over to his fathers and all of his brothers. And his, bro- his father really rips into him. What is this dream that you have dreamt? Do you really dream about me and your mother and your brothers all coming before you and bowing down? The brothers hated him and his um, father listened to his words. So now back to the Ramban. It is clear that all along, Yosef has interpreted these dreams as a um, predictive dream about rulership that he will have over his family. So rather than what Rashi says, which is that Yosef looked at the situation and said, oh, my dreams are coming true. The Ramban said, Yosef looked at the situation and said, okay, I see the possibility that my dreams could come true, but this is not exactly it. What is different about this situation than the situation in the dream is that in the dream, all of the brothers' sheaves of wheat are there, and here they do not have all 11 brothers. So Yosef recognized that he had to bring about the fulfillment of these dreams. So his first mission was to have Binyamin brought down so that he could have the complete pitaron, the complete meaning of the first dream. For that, he needed all 11 of his brothers. He didn't want to tell them at this point that he was Yosef. 
He doesn't reveal himself and send for his father yet at this point, like he does in the second instance. He knew his father would come right away, and he also understood and believed that he had to have the first dream come true before the second dream. So Yosef inadvertently caused a great harm to his father, that he made him mourn over Shimon, that he caused him such anguish, that he had put the family through so much. You can say, why is Yosef doing this? Why is he torturing his father? If he was able to spare his father even one moment of grief, why would he not have done so? And this really touches on our broader question, which is why did Yosef never reach out to his father? And this is talking about it in one microcosmic instance, which is in this final episode, right before he reveals himself. Why is he dragging along the process? And the Ramban connects it all back to the fact that Yosef believed he was a messenger to bring about the fulfillment of these dreams. So why then did he have them bring down Binyamin and why did he do the whole test with um, threatening to keep Binyamin with him? Because Yosef wanted to test out their love for Binyamin. He wanted to make sure these dreams kept true, came true. And for that, he needed all 11 of his brothers to be present. Therefore, if the brothers hated Binyamin as much as they had hated him, he feared that they may raise a hand against Binyamin. They may cause harm to Binyamin, which would cause him to not be a part of the fulfillment of this dream. This is what our rabbis are alluding to in Bereshis Rabbi Rabbi Chia Bar Abba says that all of the words that Yehuda spoke in his speech are meant to be a consolement to Yosef, a consolement to the brothers, and a consolement to Binyamin. What makes them a, a pious to Yosef? They showed Yosef through their words, specifically Yehuda through his words, how much they cared about Binyamin, regardless of the fact that he was a Ben Rachel. The Ramban says, my opinion is that everything that Yosef is doing here is is from his wisdom and his understanding of the fulfillment of these dreams.
Because, and the Ramban directly, directly addressed our question, he says, we're all thinking, Yosef was leader in this country. Why did he not send even one communication to his father? It was only a six-day travel between the two. And for the honor of his father, it would have been worthwhile, even if it was a year-long trip, to send a messenger. Once Yosef was out of jail and therefore had the opportunity to reach out to his family, he at that point interpreted Paro's dreams and realized that the entire world would be coming down to Egypt for their support, that if Egypt saved up appropriately, he understood that eventually his family and his father and everyone together would have to come down to Egypt. And therefore he stood strong and did not reach out to his father because he believed it was his job to bring about the fulfillment of these dreams. But the question is why? Why did Yosef think that these dreams had to come true? Is that his job? If Hashem wants these dreams to come true, if they actually had a predictive element to them, wouldn't Hashem have made sure it would have come about? So what exactly is the Ramban saying here? That we understand that the Ramban is saying that Yosef acted in this way in order to bring about the proper fulfillment of the dreams he had had. But the question that we are left with from this Ramban is why? Who appointed Yosef as the one who was meant to bring about the fulfillment of the dreams? Why is that something that we seem to be praising Yosef over? So the answer can be understood if we look at when Yosef names his son Menashe. Yosef names his firstborn son in Barisha's Parakmim Aleph, they cry Yosef at Shem before Menashe. Kinashani Elohim et kol amali kol beis avi. Yosef named his firstborn son Menashe, meaning God has made me forget completely my hardship and my parental home. That's a strange way to name your son. Why would you name your son about the fact that God helped you to forget your pain and your father's house? Why would that be a, something good that he had forgotten his father's house. So there are two approaches, one in the Nitzv and Ha'im Ekdavar, and one from the Al-Sheikh. The Nitzv and Ha'im Ekdavar states, that kol beis avi, hudag amkin, ad shalo hayalibo nirdaf lebeis aviv. He is thanking Hashem that Hashem had helped him come to a point where his heart was not constantly pining to return to his family's home. Yosef felt that he had been given a mission, that the dreams he had had were to him like a prophecy. He felt as if he was on a mission. The low Yehe Kikhovish at Nivuato, the Odivor Bazelafaninu. 
The Nitziv says this will become more clear why this was so important, but he felt it was mutalalav. It was incumbent upon him to make sure that these dreams were fulfilled. He felt it had been given over as a nevuah. He had to make sure they were fulfilled, and therefore he is thanking Hashem. He is moda about the fact that Hashem allowed him to be distracted from constantly thinking about returning to his father's home. Not only because that allowed him to focus on what he was doing here, but because it allowed him to resign himself to the fact that he was part of the plan to bring about the fulfillment of the dreams. The al Shaf explains even further. Vayikra Yosef. Hayalu lomar ki amar nashani velomar hifrani. Ve'od ich yachshiv latov ma shana su kol beit aviv. Ve'gam ba'omro ba'eret ani. Yosef put into his heart that the Lord was with him. He was not brought, oh, sorry, that was the wrong translation. Yosef was not thought of as a foreigner. But Yosef did not let his father know, either verbally or through a messenger, that he was alive in Mitzrayim. Yosef at no point reached out to his father. He was in jail for 12 years. In all the years of plenty and in all the years of good, he did not reach out to his family. Why is that so, says the Al-Sheikh? Yosef felt, and it was clearly apparent to him, that he had not been sent down to Egypt for no reason that he was a messenger, not only in fulfilling these dreams, rather he was part of Hashem's grand plan. He believed that he was the vehicle through which Hashem's plan was going to be carried out in Egypt. That Yosef very quickly came to the awareness that he had been given these nevuot in the form of these dreams. And it was not about bringing about his own honor in making sure that these dreams were fulfilled. Rather, he recognized that Hashem was giving him insight that there was a reason that he was sent down to Egypt. That this may have been a tremendous hardship for him. He was sent away from his family. It was clear that his family hated him. He was sold down to Egypt. He was a slave. Then he was thrown in jail. Then he is pulled out of jail and he is now a ruler in a foreign land. This was not easy for Yosef. He desperately wanted to reach out and to go home. However, he reminded himself and he thanked Hashem for allowing him to put that to the side of his mind in order to be Moser Nefesh on behalf of the entire Jewish people. That Hashem needed Yosef in Egypt in order to bring the rest of the Jewish people down to Egypt to be the vehicle on which the Shekhinah would come down to Egypt that would facilitate the rest of Jewish history. That Hashem had a plan, he needed someone to carry it out, and that person was Yosef. Yosef had come to that realization, and therefore he had dedicated his life to that mission. He did not reach out to his father because he knew 
that that would have interrupted the plan of Hashem in getting everyone down to Egypt. And therefore, he stuck it out, not for his own sake, not because he was afraid that his father had been part of the plan, not because he was unable to reach out, but rather because Yosef took upon himself to be Moser Nefesh, to give up on his own quality of life, on his own preference, and dedicate it to being a part of Hashem's grand plan, that he was part of the mission to bring the Jewish people down to Egypt, and therefore he put aside his own personal wills and desires for the good of Klal Yisrael. That though it may seem to us like, oh, this was really such a chesed that he brought everyone down to Egypt, he recognized that this was not his own decision. This was a decision that Hashem had thrust upon him. It was a mission that he had been entrusted with, and therefore he dedicated his life. And he put himself in this uncomfortable position for the rest of his life. He didn't reach out to his beloved father for so many years in order to be a part of this plan of HaKadosh Baruch So what can we learn from Yosef here? We can learn from Yosef definitely not how to survive in the event you go missing. In the event you go missing, do not be like that hiker. Reach out immediately. Answer any phone calls. But we learn from Yosef how to view our mission in this world. That oftentimes we look at our place in this world and we do what's best for us. We look around and we say, what decision should I make that is best for furthering my goals, using my cohort, recognizing my abilities, and growing in the way that I want to? But the lesson that we can learn from Yosef is the ability to live with Mesir Snafesh. To say, what is Hashem's grand plan here? Hashem put me in this place at this time, and I believe I can make a difference in this way. I see something that is greater than myself in the lot that I have been given. And to embrace that and to be Moser Nefesh, to give of ourselves in that way in order to further Hashem's grand plan. Yosef could have reached out. He could have, at this point, he's out of jail. He's a ruler. He could have reached out. He possibly could have gone back to his old life. Who knows what could have happened? But he remained in Egypt, and he carried out this plan in exactly the way he felt he was meant to, in order to live up to Hashem's plan that Hashem had presented to him. Messiah's nefesh is not only as we often think of, which is chas v'shalom, having to give our lives al kiddush Hashem. Then we read these stories of those that really make these grand sacrifices in order to fulfill the will of Hashem. That's not always how it plays out. When it comes to Yosef, we see that it is these subtle decisions that you make in your life. It was him asking them, pushing the story one moment further, where he asked them to bring Binyamin down instead of revealing himself right away. He could have said, oh, it's close enough. We're close enough to the dreams. I have lived this long in Egypt. I have held back from my father for this long. Just bring everyone down already. However, Yosef was able to look at the details of the situation and say, Hashem wants this to play out in a certain way. And therefore, I'm going to do everything in my ability to make that happen. To conclude, there is a Gemara in Brachot on Daf Samach Aleph Amad Bet. 
Tanya Rabiliezer Omer, Im Namar Bechol Nafshacha, Lama Nomar Bechol Meodecha. The Im Nomar Bechol Meodecha, Lama Nomar Bechol Nafshacha. This is a very famous discussion in which they are discussing why in Kriya Shema does it say, this seems very repetitive. So the Gemara is asking, if it already says, why does it also say, and if it says, why does it also say, why does it also say, so the Gemara answers and says, if there is a person who his body is more dear to him than his possessions, Therefore, it says, that even with your whole entire guf, you should love Hashem. But if you have a person whose money is more dear to them than their body, for them it says, with everything that belongs to you. Rabbi Akiva Omer, however, Rabbi Akiva is a different interpretation. Rabbi Akiva says, why does it say, that you should be ready even to give up your life to love Hashem. To new Rabbanan. So the Rabbanan tell us a story. The evil empire decreed that we sh- that you shouldn't be involved in Torah. Papas ben Yehuda saw that Rabbi Akiva was gathering large groups of people that Osik Torah, and he was learning Torah. Amar le Rabbi Akiva, says Rabbi Akiva, malchus, are you not afraid of the rulers? Amarlo, em mashal lama doma. Rabbi Akiva says, let me give you a mashal, what this is like. L'shu'al shahaya mahalich al-gav hanahar v'ra'adza gim shahayumit kabtsim makum l'makum. Amar lahem ipnei ma'atem borchim. This can be um, analogized to a fox that is running above a river and he sees fish that are swimming back and forth. And he says to the, the fox says to the fish, why are you running back and forth? He says to the fish, the fish say they are afraid of the people that are going to come catch them. So the fox says to them, so why don't you come out here? They're looking for you in there. Come, we can live peacefully together. I'll just take you out of the water. You'll come live with me. So the fish say back to the fox, they say, but why would we come out to a place of sure death? You take us out of the water, we'll definitely die. You leave us here, at least we have a chance to live. So Rabbi Akiva says, I'm faced with two options. I'm faced with the option of sure death. If you disconnect me from Torah, it will surely die. He says, right now we are connected to Torah. This is our lifeline. So he says, Why should I stop learning Torah? That will be sure death. 
If I continue to learn Torah, eventually probably they'll catch me. It was only a number, small number of these until they caught Rabbi Akiva the Chavshuhu Ubebeit Asurim V'tavsu L'Papas Ben Yehuda V'chavshuhu Itzlau. So it was only a number of days until Rabbi Akiva was caught, and then only a number of more days until Rabbi Papas ben Yehuda was caught as well. Amar lo Papas, mi haviyacha lakan amar le'ashrecha Rabbi Akiva, shenitzhafta al divrei Torah. Papas ben Yehuda says to, says to Rabbi Akiva, ashrecha, praiseworthy are you, that you were caught and brought here because of divrei Torah. Ailo le Papas shenitzhaf al divrei betilim. Papas was also caught, but he was caught for doing nothing. And this is the famous story of Rabbi Akiva's death, that it was the time when they took Rabbi Akiva out to be killed. It was the time for They were scraping his skin with hot combs. He was saying, He says to our his student said to him, Rabinu, Adkan, until here, stop. My whole life, I was, I was irritated that I couldn't fulfill this Pasuk properly. Now the opportunity to fulfill this Pasuk has come into my hands and I shouldn't fulfill it. He came to the word Echad and he elongated it until his Nishama was taken from him. The Malachim saw what had happened and they said to Hashem, This is the reward that Rabbi Akiva gets for a life lived with Torah. Hashem says, no, look at Rabbi Akiva. He lived a life that truly prepared him for Olam Haba. That it wasn't this moment of his death. We all think of Rabbi Akiva as an exemplar of one who died al-Kiddush Hashem. But in this final moment after his death, when the, the Malachim say to Hashem, Zu Torah v'zu schara, this is the reward for living a life of Torah. And Hashem says, no, Rabbi Akiva lived a life that prepared him for Olam Haba. It wasn't his death that brought him to Olam Haba. It was his life that brought him to Olam Haba. That when Papa Ben Yehuda says to, says to Rabbi Akiva, Ashrecha, that they caught you because of Divrei Torah. He says, you lived a life that was in complete connection with what Hashem wanted from your life. And this is the lesson that we not only learn from Rabbi Akiva, but from Yosef in this, past, in, in this week's parsha. That Mesiris Nefesh is not about dying, Chas V'Shalom Al-Kiddush Hashem. It's not about giving up our lives, Al-Kiddush Hashem. Rather, it is about making these small changes in our life that, that show us that our life is part of Hashem's grand plan. That remind us that we are part of what Hashem is planning for the world, it may not always be the most comfortable for each of us individually, but we are all part of bringing Hashem's presence into this world and carrying out Hashem's plan in this world. Yosef could have called home. He could have improved his own life and changed his life in so many ways. But rather, he accepted upon himself that he was a vehicle 
in the plan of Hashem, and he went with that. So Mr. Hashem, we would be able to take this lesson from Yosef and to be able to imbue our lives with this midah of Mesiras Nafesh and to live each day with the recognition that we are part of the Hashem's grand plan.